with, with my job, I get to travel all around the world, which is kind of fun, and it means I've got an interesting job, and I'm not here to glow or flex or anything like that, but I, I really enjoy what I do. And I get, when I travel, I get to stay in people's homes, so I don't go to hotels, I normally stay with different Christians around the world, and I, I feel I get a better, you know, understanding of, like, a country by actually staying with people rather than staying in hotels, and it's, it's a real, a real, it's a joy, it's a good thing to do. So a number of years ago, I was in Belfast. I had to fly back and I uh, was speaking at a church in Belfast. And I was staying at this couple's house for, for the first time. I'd, I'd never met them before. And for all of us who know, or if you don't, the history of Northern Ireland is one of Protestant and Catholic against one another. And, you know, it's a very tense, sometimes fraught situation that's divided along kind of nationalist and Republican lines. And that's all kind of bound up in Catholics and Protestants. And there's a lot of different, you know, stuff that goes on there. So I'm, and I'm staying in this house in East Belfast, which is an incredibly Protestant area of Northern Ireland, not particularly renowned for its love of Catholics. And so we're, in, we're, we're staying there. I've never met these people before. We're staying in their home. And on the fridge, I notice a picture of the Pope. And I'm like, it was Pope Ratzinger at the time. And I'm like, oh, that's lovely. You know, here we are in divided Belfast. And these Protestant people, they're actually, they're praying for the Catholic Church. They're, you know, they're working towards unity. They're crying out to God that there'd be this kind of uniting of the churches, you know, and all of that. And I was just really struck how, how wonderful it was that people from that tradition would pay, pray for people from that, the other tradition. And so we were just about to go to bed. I'd never met this couple before, a lovely couple. And I went, can I just say, it is absolutely wonderful that you've got a picture of the Pope on your fridge. And the lady looked at me and she went, that's my mum. <laughs> There's no coming back from that. I basically just said, your mother looks like him. It was horrific. My friend Phil Togwell, who was with me, he went, good night. He just walked. <laughs> and I just stood there and just went, I am so sorry. That's all I could do. I am so sorry. And went to bed feeling rather uncomfortable. <laughs> do you know, it's important that we understand what is happening and that we look properly at things around us. Or we can make horrific mistakes. And, and thinking about that, just as we approach the season of Christmas, I think it's really important that we look closely at some of the events in the lead up to uh, Christmas and some of the things that happen, just so that we understand what this is all about. Because you can easily mistake it for so many other things. We can mistake Christmas, we can mistake the season for materialism. We can even mistake it for some sort of schmaltzy, kind of warm, glowy kind of thing. You know, when actually it's, it's so much more than that. So much more than that. And I, it's a disturbing slightly to talk about Christmas in November. I don't know about you, some people love it. Anyway, I'm just letting you know my own personal preference, but here we are. And uh, one of the things I think it would be really good for us to take a closer look at is, is to look at the life of Mary and to look at what happened to her in regards to our story. And probably in our own tradition, it's not one that we do often. You know? And so this morning, I'd love to talk about the Annunciation. 
I know for all of you who hold the liturgical calendar true that Annunciation uh, Sunday happens around March the 25th every year, but then, hey, we're a free church. We can do what we want, okay? And so I'm going to talk about the Annunciation this morning because I think it's really important. The Annunciation means the announcement of something, the announcement of something. And putting it simply, it was Gabriel announcing the birth of Jesus, Oh, sorry, that was the wrong one. So that's Gabriel Jesus from, from <laughs> Arsenal, sorry. Uh, the, probably next one's better, actually. Yeah, there we go. Leonardo da Vinci, much better. Uh, so it was... A, I didn't know whether that would work, you know. But uh, <laughs> this is the Annunciation where the angel Gabriel turns up and tells Mary that she is going to carry Christ. This one's actually painted by Leonardo da Vinci. In fact... As biblical passages go, it's one of the most painted biblical passages you'll ever find. There are more paintings of the Annunciation through history than some, more than the crucifixion, which is interesting. So, that, so over the years, this, this story has inspired artists, inspired poets, inspired so many people. And it's the beginning of the story that leads to our story. In fact, this uh, is... Really, it means the announcement. And so let's read this story. It's in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to verse 38, if you have your Bibles. I'm reading in the English Standard Version. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. So what's being announced? Well, let's not miss the importance of this. We have Gabriel, the angel who John tells us stood in the presence of God. According to John, he was the one who delivered God's message. So when an angel shows up, an angel is always a representative of God, someone sent to proclaim God's word. So when an angel speaks, it's God speaking. He is just a messenger bringing the word of God. And, you know, he turns up and shows up to a young girl who was 
that most commentators would say 15 years old, telling her that she will carry the Messiah into the world at 15. You're going to carry the Messiah into the world. And even more interesting, she's a virgin. And, and, and the angel says, and this will be supernatural conception. It's a lot to take in as a 15-year-old. I mean, it's a lot to take in as a 50-year-old. But as a 15-year-old, it's a lot to take in. After 400 years, we would see of biblical silence. After perhaps 6,000 years of biblical history... The much longed for saviour of the world was going to become incarnate, that means in flesh, and dwell among us. And how was that going to happen? It was going to be Mary. She was going to be the 15-year-old girl who carried Jesus Christ into the world. Mary, this was amazing news, but there was this incredible risk Involved Because for a young lady to get pregnant out of wedlock, the, the, the punishment, according to Leviticus, was that they would take you out of the village and they would stone you to death. Thankfully, uh, the angel had already appeared to Joseph and pre-warned him you know, that this was going to happen. And so he was, he was on board and he helped out a little bit. And so at a, <laughs> it was a lot to take on. And it's a beautiful story because this young peasant girl who they say was one of those who were, was waiting for the Messiah was part of the, the, they called them the silent in the land. There was a group of people like Simeon in the temple, Anna in the temple. They were part of a group called the silent in the land. They weren't revolutionaries. They were people who prayed and waited patiently for the Lord. And they'd say often that Mary was one of the, the silent in the land. For this young 15-year-old girl, an angel appears and says, it's you. You're going to carry Jesus into the world. You're going to carry the Messiah, the, long, the much longed for, much hoped for Messiah. The Messiah that was hinted at by Isaiah. The Messiah that was hinted at through the prophets. The Messiah, the Messiah that actually, if we went right back to Genesis, was predicted at the fall. It's all there. And you are going to carry him into the world. So how does the angel start this? Well, first of all, he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Chari is the word that was used in the Greek. Luke wrote this, by the way. Most commentators would also say that Luke probably sat down with Mary and asked her what happened. Because he was a historian, a doctor and a historian. So he would have met with Mary and said, Tell us all about it. What happened? I mean, that would be a great story. So he's obviously just picked out some of the bits that he thinks we should know. But the angel turns up and it says, Chari, which is uh, like rejoice. And even in modern day Greek, it's basically, hello, hello. <laughs> you who are highly favored. <laughs> you know, basically the angel rocks up and goes, hi, God likes you. It's, it's that, I mean, you go through, you look at, I went through about six different commentaries, and it's all the same. It's basically just, hello. I mean, I'd be freaked out, wouldn't you? It'd be like, hello, and you'd be like, ooh. But get, I like you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. This had never happened before. It was kind of hinted at with Gideon when an angel rocked up in Judges chapter 6 and said, you know, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. So, you know, angels did turn up and speak to people. But this is the first time it ever happened to a woman. And let's remember, I mean, obviously, we, a woman needs to be part of this journey because a man couldn't carry the child. But let's remember that there's also something radical in the fact that, that, that women in the New Testament are so held up 
You know, we, there's so much in there that I think we, we, we miss, you know. People always say, like, at Easter, Jesus, all Jesus' friends abandoned him. No, they didn't. All the men did. The women stayed by the cross, you know. We often talk about the Mary and Martha thing, about, like, oh, and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and Martha had ran around like a headless chicken, and we all need to be like Mary. We miss the fact that, actually, for someone to sit at the feet of a, a rabbi, they had to be a disciple. And that was a radical statement in itself, you know. So, so throughout the Gospels, we see the positioning of women as one of an equal position, one that is strong, and one that, is, that we see that, that God favors, and God loves, and God looks towards women as much as he does to men. We just had 2,000 years of slightly misogynistic history, whereby men are the dominant factor. But when you read the Gospels, you will see that, that women, if you read them properly, you'll see that women are at the fore of it, you know. And so it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So he speaks to Mary and he says this, rejoice, which is another meaning for hello. The Lord likes you and he is with you. It's beautiful, isn't it? Who needs to hear that today? Rejoice. The Lord likes you. And he is with you. Be happy. God likes you. And he is with you. If we were to dig even deeper into this, we would see that it was probably the first real teaching on grace. That's why our Catholic friends say, Hail Mary, full of grace. In fact, they didn't introduce the Mary bit until 10,050 AD. It was just hail, full of grace. It's the first real understanding of grace. And grace is you're highly favored. I love you. And I think there's something in that for each one of us as we stand at the beginning of this story that leads us into Christmas is knowing that God likes us. He likes us. Rejoice. The Lord likes you. Because I don't know about you, sometimes we, and you've, you've heard, you've, many of you have heard this before, we say, God loves you. God loves you. That's true. God loves you. But God likes you. He likes you. Some of us don't like ourselves, but God does. God smiles at you. His primary expression, as Alan Emerson once said, his primary expression towards you is a smile. Psalm 139 says, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God likes you. In Ephesians, you are his workmanship, his poetry, his masterpiece. He likes you. And I think we sometimes beat ourselves, how could he like me? But he does, he likes you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. I think that I could, we could stand that up theologically throughout the whole of the Bible. God not only loves his creation, God likes his creation. And I think we, we lose the meaning sometimes of love because I love bounties. Do you know what I mean? Does anyone else love coconut flavored chocolate snacks? Yeah, exactly. I, I, it's sad sometimes, the, the bad rep bounties get but uh do you know what I mean and sometimes we lose this word love because we use it for everything I would love a Bugatti Veyron (laughs) do you know what I mean it's a car uh you know it's never going to happen but you know uh, there's lots of things we love and so so, but like and we so we 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 just got to be really careful that in that sense of God loving us we have to understand that there's a fondness and a warmth and he's drawn to us and there's love in his eye for us so when he comes and he shows up to Mary the first thing he says is rejoice i like you greetings you who are highly favored and i am with you i am with you 
That's a beautiful thing as God asks us to go on this journey of faith. The one that we all embark on when we become Christians. We have to understand that the Christian journey is one where God likes us and he is with us. 100% with us. Even in the dark night of the soul. Even whenever we feel he is not there. God is always there. He is with us. We might not always feel him because sometimes our feelings lie to us. We might not always, you know, circumstances might not always point to it, but he's always there. I am with you. So this is the greeting that rang in Mary's ears. Imagine if this greeting rang in our ears every morning when we woke up. Imagine if you had it written on your mirror or you had it in your Bible. Rejoice, I like you and I am with you. Imagine you've just memorized it as a mantra or something that you had in your head. I mean, there's lots of things we need to memorize. But imagine if we lived in the reality of knowing that we could rejoice because God likes us and God is with us. Imagine how that would shape your day, make you smile at the creator of all things, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the god of gods, majesty enthroned on high, likes you and he's with you. It's amazing. If we could learn to absorb that, that would be so good. And it's something I constantly have to do myself. And then he says this, even though he likes her and God likes her and he's with her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. There is fervor reassurance that comes when we meet with the voice of God, and it is this don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I want you to carry Jesus into the world. Isn't that what Jesus said at the end in Matthew 28? That we were to go and make disciples, that we were to carry Jesus into the world? We miss this about Mary, that the first person to carry Jesus into the world was Mary. And we as Christians are called to carry Jesus into the world. Wherever our world is, wherever we are, wherever he has placed us, we are called to be little Christs, to be bringers of Jesus, to bring him to others, to carry him to the world around us, to carry him to our families, to our workplaces, to our schools, to wherever we are, we're called to carry Christ, to take him to others. And Mary was the first person to do that. And it's interesting in this, I think God knows what it's like. You can sometimes get afraid when you're sharing about Jesus. Fear is a, is a tricky old business, isn't it? Uh, like, I think sometimes I've dealt with my fears and then I haven't. Or, you know, you deal with a couple and then a new one rises up to bite you on the bum. Do you know what I mean? Fear just pops up forever, doesn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. And God knew that. And he said, don't be afraid. Fear will stifle us, hold us back, stop us from taking the leap, stop us from doing everything that we're meant to do. And he, he says to Mary, don't be afraid. I want you to carry Jesus into the world. God comes to her in her poverty, in her fear, in her weakness, in her insecurity, and in her doubt, and says, I am with you. Don't be afraid. 
And if we learn anything from this season, the coming of Christ, it's this. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be afraid. And then Mary, rightly at this point, I mean, this is a lot to take in, isn't it? She's like the grace of, I mean, she's getting some major theological downloads in just a few sentences. She's probably not had enough time to think it through like we are now doing. One, it's, you know, here I am. I'm a God of grace. I love you. The second thing is I'm going to give you an, uh, a, a call to carry the gospel, to carry Jesus to the world. So that's brilliant. And, and you're thinking, wow, this is amazing because we, we've got hindsight. But I would, I would she, she does the right thing as anyone would do. Mary said to this, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. She's almost saying, this is impossible. This is impossible. And interestingly, in Exodus 40, verse 34 to 35, the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The same phraseology is used here. When the, when the, <laughs> the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The cloud will cover you. And God will come and dwell in you. It's an amazing piece of biblical symmetry when we look at it. We have this beautiful moment where the God who dwelled in a temple up until this point. Remember that, the, the Jewish nation had a temple theology. It was God dwells in the ark, in the tabernacle, up until this very moment. That's all that they've got. And all of a sudden, this radical new thing happens, is that God has come down in the flesh, incarnate, and he's going to dwell in you. And, so the, and they link that back to the Exodus scripture. It's like there is something new. The God that dwelt in a temple, the God who was far off, the God who was distant has come to be amongst you. Through you, Mary, who will carry her. The work of the Holy Spirit is incredibly important. And Adrian was so brilliant last week at talking about that in, the, in, in, in seeing the fulfillment of some of our dreams and our hopes you know, that it was impossible. Mary, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's exactly the same phrase that Gabriel spoke to Mary. It's exactly the same phrase that was used in Exodus. The Holy Spirit will come upon who? You, us. The spirit that fell on me. So Mary's not only getting this download of the grace of God, getting this download of the gospel call, but she's also getting the first download of the Holy Spirit coming upon her as a, in, as a human, in human form rather than in a tabernacle type sense. And so here we have this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, us, to carry Christ to the world. The Holy Spirit will make it happen. 2 Corinthians 6, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The Holy Spirit will make it happen. So there is this sense of the favor of God. God loving and God liking us. There is this sense of don't be afraid. I've called you to carry Jesus to the world. How's that going to happen? Well, I will fill you with the Holy Spirit. You will be covered with the Holy Spirit in order that you can carry me to the world. Because, you know, uh, one great archbishop once said is that the Christian faith is the only faith that's set up for its non-members. 
The church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. We're not a self-help group. We're not here just to come and feel good in the morning, although we do, and God does help us, and we do feel good. But actually, the call is that we carry, that it goes beyond us. And for Mary, that was an uncomfortable reality of having to go back and try and explain, hey, mom, I'm pregnant. It was God. <laughs> you know, it's a challenge, isn't it? Uh, more than a challenge. You know, so there is a comfortable, re- uncomfortable reality that there's this thing that lays upon each one of us so that it's not just about us. It's about taking him. And then the final thing I'd like to say that we could see in this story is Mary's response. As we approach the Christmas season, let us not forget that amongst all the gifts and even the celebration of the life of Jesus, there was a humble girl who said yes. She said yes. We, we would do well to remember that because God didn't make her say yes. She could have said no. Just bear that in mind. She could have said no. But she said yes. Her response was, let it be to me as you have said. Let it be to me as you have said. They would translate that very, very strongly from the Greek. And it would be, I am your slave girl. That's, that's how that translates. I am, I will do, I am your maidservant. I will do whatever you ask of me. I am completely yours. Obedience. Once she knew that she was loved, once she knew that God, all that reassurance, and then with the challenge of carrying Jesus, but also with the promise of the Holy Spirit, Mary just says, yes, yes. And you know, at that point, I don't think she even knew what she was getting herself into. I sometimes think that, that God kind of laughs at our yeses. He chuckles gently and lovingly because he's like, you don't really know what you're getting into when you say yes. It's a beautiful thing. But it's, it's a challenging thing. I don't know. Has anyone ever said yes to Jesus and thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's exciting and kind of interesting. But it's, I don't think, if, sometimes I think if you knew, you might be like, oh, not too sure about that one. You know, not too. But, but he's got our best interests at heart, our, you know, hopes for us. I love what Andy Taylor said, you know, when he was talking about moving to Peru. He said, you can play it safe or take a risk. And playing it safe was saying yes to God. Taking a risk is saying, oh, I'm going to stay. Playing it safe is saying yes to God. I thought that was a really beautiful thing that he said. And Mary said yes. Mary's yes is the vessel through which God among us steps into our world. Her yes. She said yes. Greetings, I like you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. It provokes a resounding yes from Mary. This altered the course of her life. When was the last time God altered the course of your life? (laughs) I don't know. When was the last time we would really allow God to alter the course of our lives? There's a challenge. That when God shows up, he wants to take us in new and fresh, exciting directions. But it's about being obedient to his call. All he is looking for is a yes. It's yes that leads us to the foot of the cross. It's yes that leads us into salvation. It's yes that leads us 
into finding Jesus, but it's yes that allows his Holy Spirit to inhabit us. It's yes. That's all he's looking for, is for us to say yes. It's feeble, humble, broken, conflicted, Mary, peasant girl, 15 years old, facing death if she gets found out, says yes. And history is transformed by her yes to Jesus. And there's so much beauty in this story as we move towards the Christmas period. We remember that it began with a humble young girl saying yes. And then the rest, as they say, is history. It really is history through her yes. And so the, announce, the annunciation, the, the season that we're about to enter, let's not get it wrong. Let's not think it was the Pope and really it was someone's mum. Let's, let's remind ourselves of what this is really about. And it's about this beautiful young lady saying yes to Jesus and her example to each one of us in how we respond to Jesus.